last two weeks, uh, we started a new series uh, called 10,000 Reasons. And uh, it comes from, the inspiration uh, came from a song by Matt Redman, uh, in which uh, it's the title song, I think, of his album as well. Uh, And uh, what we've been talking about are some of, the, some of the reasons why we should be delighting ourselves in the Lord. Some of the reasons why uh, we should be beholding the beauty of God and, and just exalting uh, in the wonder of God as, as, as who He is in His person. One of the uh, lines from that song says this, You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And we've been looking over the last couple of weeks. We, we talked about his, his compassions that fell not. They're new every morning. His, his great in faithfulness. And we've been talking about the, the, the virtue, the, the attributes of God that, that make him so uh, lovely. That, that he is the, the most beautiful being of course, in the universe, and, and it's our privilege to, uh, to come to know him, uh, to, to desire to know him uh, even more. That uh, lyric that is in uh, Matt Redmond's song could have been lifted almost verbatim uh, from the book of uh, Exodus, the 34th chapter. You could read it on your own later today or during the week, Exodus 33, 34. Uh, it comes from an incident that took place. Moses, uh, Moses was was great at the ability to to negotiate with God, and uh, you know, of course, God knew that. Uh, and so, on this one occasion, when when God was uh, a little angry uh, at uh, the children of Israel for their unfaithfulness, uh, He said to Moses, "Just you know, step aside, that I might destroy." them in a moment. Now, of course, you know, God knew what he was about to do, and God knew that Moses was going to intercede. You know, I mean, God could have just picked them up, you know, and put them on the side and said, just, just wait over here for a minute, you know, if he really wanted to destroy the children of Israel. But, but Moses interceded, and he said, you can't do that, God, because if you do that, then the Egyptians will say it was because, it was because you were unable to bring them into the land of promise. And not only that, he says, but also remember that you said that you were that you were a God who was slow to anger and abundant in love and mercy and forgiving iniquity. And and so and so Moses really didn't know how to negotiate. But but one of the things I love about th- this particular story is that the more that Moses understood about the nature of God, the more Moses wanted to know God personally. I mean, he's, he's a guy, right? He, he gets to speak to God from the burning bush, you know? Uh, you've seen the Ten Commandments. You, you know how awesome that was, right? Uh, you know, he, he, gets, he gets over this 40-year period of ministry in the wilderness. He, he gets so close to God as, as, in the, as in the tent of meeting where the glory of God comes and, and fills the tent. And he's got this revelation of God, but, but he wants more. And so he says to God, he says, he says to God, if I found favor in your sight, then I beseech you. He says, I beg you, show me your glory. Now, you got you to kind of know that God knew exactly what Moses was asking for. But we have to kind of read between the lines because the Lord answers and says, 
Moses, you, you can't look on my face and live because that, that's obviously what he was after. He wanted to know God so intimately as to, as to see God as if it were face to face. And God says, you can't do that. But this is what I will do. I will set you in this crevice by this rock. And I, I will, when I pass before you, I'll place my hand so that you won't see my face, but you, you could see my, 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 my back. And I will, I will reveal all of my goodness. My goodness will pass before you, right? And so, and so the Lord does that. And, and here's the verse in Exodus 34, verse 6. It says, And the Lord passed before him, and he proclaimed, that is, he made known, he revealed, God unveiled his goodness to Moses, saying, The Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering, or Another translation is slow to anger, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And, and this knowledge of God, we could have never known that had, had Moses in this particular place said to God, God, I, I, I want to know you more. If I found favor in your sight, I beseech you, show me your glory. And God is displaying his glory. There are some things that we could know about the universe by, by, by examining the creation. We could say God's an awesome God. The creator is powerful. He's, he, but we would have never known. We would have never fully understand without the revelation of Scripture that God is infinitely patient. He's infinitely loving. He's infinitely compassionate. This morning, I want to look at one of these clusters. and We talked about that last week of the attributes of God, of the virtues of God, and that is his long-suffering, his patience. Paul calls God, gives him the title, Romans 15, 5, the God of patience. That word translated in Hebrew is long-suffering. He, his, he suffers long. And, and this is one of, the, one of the beautiful aspects of the nature of God that that, that we can delight in, that, that we could come to know. And Listen, I, I hope that you will be as blessed by the end of this message as I have been over the last week, just studying this out, looking through some of the scriptures and coming to know in a greater understanding just how patient God is. He is, he is infinite. It is patient. I'm so glad that he's not like He's not like mere men, you know. Uh, he's not like us. Uh, he's not like those who would, uh, who would be short-tempered or, or those who would be, uh, and, and you know some of the, some of the, some of the names that we use uh, to describe somebody's temperament. Uh, they, they, they went berserk or they went ballistic. You know, I'm so glad that God doesn't go ballistic or like the little kid that I saw in the store the other day who had a meltdown. I mean, even little kids, you know, have, you know what's a meltdown? A meltdown is, 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 the, is from that nuclear, you know, kind of reaction that takes place that you can't stop, right? I'm so glad that God is not like that. He, you know, he, and, and you know what? Big kids, they have meltdowns too, right? Adults, they, have, they put their hands through sheetrock, you know, break glass and do all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, somebody knows somebody personally here who does that, right? <laughs> but I'm so glad that God is, is, is long, he's slow to anger. 
my wife, uh, and I mentioned this, uh, I think, a while ago. Uh, my wife teaches over at SCS, and uh, she's basically a math teacher. She's got about five different math classes. But one of the other classes that they gave her was uh, teaching Bible. And she's teaching seventh grade uh, Bible, uh, and she's doing the, the Gospel of John. And about a week or so ago, uh, she was reviewing the, the video of the Gospel of John, and they've been showing that to the kids. And uh, when it got to John chapter 2, where, where Jesus uh, is in the temple and he cleanses the temple, he, he takes a whip and he, he, he turns over the money cha- uh, tables and he chases out those that were selling. He said, my father's house is a house of prayer, but you made it a, a den of thieves or, or a house of merchandise. I had a problem. I was enjoying it until I had a problem with the interpretation of the actor when, when it came to Jesus, because, because to me, the, the Jesus that was depicted, and I said this to, to, to my wife right at the moment, I said, I said that's not the Jesus that I, I know, because that Jesus, was he looked like a madman. He looked like he was out of control, you know? And if you know anything about the nature of God and Jesus being the God-man, he, 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 he did not sin. He was angry, but he did not sin, right? Doesn't the Bible tell us that he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. And, and as a result of that, listen, Jesus did not lose control. His anger was under the control of his own heart and of his own soul. And uh, think about it. You know, th- there are t- you know, the Bible says that we, we, we should be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down upon our anger. There are times that, that it's wrong and it's sinful, actually, to not be angry. Did you know that? When, when we see injustice and we're not moved by that, that's wrong. The, the, the present scandal that's taking place over at Penn State. You know, somebody 15 years ago should have gotten really angry with the abuse of, of children. And instead of letting that perpetrate over the last 15 years of children, be, that ought to make men angry when, when children are abused in that way. And so to, to not sin, or rather to, to not be angry sometimes is sin. But, but imagine, imagine this sinful world. Where would this world be, right? Here's the question. Where would this world be if God were not patient? Where would this rebellious, sinful world be if God wasn't infinite in his patience? And, and maybe more important to ask the question is, where would you be? Where would I be if God wasn't slow to anger and great in his patience? Uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, Nahum, is not one of those books that we really come across that often, but he said something that's really important he said, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And he connects the patience of God, his, his being long-suffering. He connects that with his power. And really what I want you to see this morning is that the power of God is most clearly displayed by his patience. In other words, in other words God has, has demonstrated his power by the creation of the universe. But I'm saying to you this morning is that God's power is more evidently displayed in his patience with the human race. That he is in, indeed long-suffering and that he is slow to anger. Uh, if you and I as believers, uh, if you and I as Christians, if we have patience operating in our life, you know, 
Uh, it's an impartation that we've received. It's a grace that we've received that the Holy Spirit is producing in us. Uh, tribulation, the Bible says, works patience. And it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But not so with God. It, it's not God doesn't need the discipline to create patience in him. He, he, he is patient and it's a part of his essential being. God is patient and he's infinite in patience just as he is infinite in his love. And, and you know, the, the wonderful thing is, and there's so many wonderful things about this, is that, is that God's patience is, is demonstrated for people who don't deserve it, for undeserving, unworthy people like you and me. But for his infinite patience, this, this world would, have, would it not have lasted a moment if it wasn't for God's infinite patience. Mercy postpones judgment. And goodness restrains his justice. And his patience curbs his power. You know, there's a book of, uh, uh, or of a verse in the book of Proverbs that says that, says that that a man who has rule over his own spirit, you ever read that? A man who has rule over his own spirit is greater, mightier than he that takes a, a, a strong city. The person who has control over their, their own self has, uh, has, has greater power, uh, is greater than he, he that, that can take a, a strong city. Th- th- think of some of the, uh, the emperors and the, and, the, and the rulers in the past, in history. Uh, uh, Napoleon, uh, Alexander the Great, you know, Caesar. You know, Alexander the Great died of debauchery in his 20s. You know, he conquered nations, but he couldn't conquer his own soul. So let me, let me just simply ask, what is, what is God's patience? You know, what is it? It's a simple question. What is the patience of God? It is God's restraint over himself. It is God's rulership. It is God's control over himself. And one of the beautiful things about God is that all of his virtues, all of his attributes are in perfect balance to one another. In other words, one doesn't encroach upon the other. One, he's not imbalanced. He's not, he's not more merciful than he is loving and just and holy. But, but, but God is perfect in all of his attributes. But what comes across to us in, in, in this is, is how that he has chosen to manifest and to reveal his patience to us. That's why, that's why I say that, that God's patience is greater displayed than if he created a world and dissolved it in an instant or created 10,000 worlds. But his patience is demonstrated in his forbearance and his long-suffering with a fallen, rebellious people called the human race. Because of that, his holiness now appears more holy. Doesn't make it more holy, but it appears more holy. His love appears more loving, and his mercy appears more merciful, and his righteousness is revealed as being more righteous because of his infinite patience. So I guess, how could you help but fall more in love with a person who is perfect 
in every way and perfect in patience, which is real practical for us, which is real helpful for us, that he is merciful and loving and kind. God is so good. God waited patiently. The Bible says during the days of, of Noah, when the ark was being built, 120 years, you know, God could have, listen, he, he could have chosen to bring deliverance, you know, uh, some other way than, than, for, than for Noah to build an ark and it took him 120 years to accomplish that. Well, what was the purpose for it? The purpose for it was that, that God was being long-suffering, not willing that men should perish. But, but Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness who had warned his generation of the judgment that, that was to come. But even beyond 120 years, I don't know if you know this, but did you know that Enoch, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and Enoch was no more because the Lord took him. But, but it says about this guy Enoch, he had a son and his son's name was Methuselah. You've heard of Methuselah? Yeah. Methuselah is the oldest living person recorded in the Bible. Do you know how long this, this dude lived? 900, I'm sorry, 960 years. He lived almost a thousand years. I wonder if he had any age spots. <laughs> Man, you talk about, talk about, uh, he lived almost, but, but see the significance of Methuselah is not just simply that he lived long, but that his name meant that when this son dies, the judgment will come. And the Bible says, and you study it out in the book of Genesis, that Methuselah died in the year of the flood. Not by, because of the flood, but when he died, the flood came. It was like God, for almost a thousand years, was warning the generations. But the Bible says that the earth was filled with violence and, and every corruption and every evil imagination that entered into the hearts of men, men were doing. And as a result of that, all flesh had corrupted themselves until Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Think about, think about God's patience with the children of Israel, having delivered them out of Egyptian bondage, right? Having saved them with a mighty hand and, and with miracles and, and all those things. And yet, look at all of the, the cause or the reason that they gave the, the Lord to just lose, you know, lose it with them. And yet he was patient with them. Centuries later, I want to read a verse of scripture to you from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, this, is, this, this happened hundreds of years before, but it had so impacted that, listen, you can't forget this about the nature of God. So Nehemiah says this in verse 16. Our forefathers became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and they failed to remember the miracles that you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. That's insanity. That's mental illness to go back into slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of gold and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. For 40 years, you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothing did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. 
And if their feet wasn't swollen, they, they didn't have smelly feet. You know, think about it. How gracious God was. Through, the, through those years, he provided water from a, from, a, from a rock. He gave them bread from heaven. And yet, with all their complaining and all their unbelief, because of that, they could not enter into God's rest because of their, their unbelief. No, God is patient. And God's been patient with me. I can tell you, I know, I know where, what I deserve, and I know that I got the very opposite of what I deserve. I know God's been patient with you because he's been patient with me. He's been patient with all of us. When we, when we wanted nothing to do with God, when we weren't interested in God, when, when we had no desire except to fulfill our own desires of the sinful nature, when we were described by Paul as being, as being controlled by the prince of the power of the air, children of disobedience, but God, who was rich in mercy and love, wherewith he loved us. He made us alive in Christ. He quickened us and he made us alive in Christ and he seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That is incredible patience and mercy and love that's demonstrated to both, listen, to both sinner and saint. And I suppose, I suppose maybe the greatest of, of God's patience is not just with the sinner, but also with, with us. Because when we when we now fail and when we fall short, sinners sin because that's what they do, because that's what their nature is. But when we've had a transformation and, and God has changed our nature and, and made us partakers of, of his own nature, then when we sin and when we stumble and fall, we sin against love and we sin against light and grace. And yet God is still patient with us. And he says that he will complete the good work that he's begun in us because He's gracious and he's patient. But you know, nowhere, nowhere, I want to say this again, nowhere is the patience of God more demonstrated than at the cross. That's exactly where, in fact, all of the attributes of God are so clearly manifested. His righteousness, his justice, his holiness, his mercy, his love. And the amazing thing is, how can, how can his mercy and justice ever possibly come together? Because you can either have one or the other. If, if you want ju justice, then there's no way that you could also receive mercy. But God found a way in which he could be both just and the justifier of those that believe. And at the cross, mercy and justice came together by God making him to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we, that we might in turn by faith become the righteousness of God. In Christ. Jesus received the cup of God's wrath, and as a result of becoming the, the substitution for the sinner, he takes what you and I deserve upon himself and he sets us free. And his holiness is manifested, not at the expense of his patience, but through his patience, his patience manifests his mercy. So you probably never heard a message about the patience of God before because a lot of times commentaries and commentators and, and preachers will, will interpret the, the patience of God as his mercy because that's what it looks like. But, but, it, but God is distinct. He is the God of patience. There's an, an echo 
that was heard in the Garden of Gethsemane that was first spoken. When, when Adam and Eve first disobeyed, God immediately extended, instantly extended patience toward our parents. Patience was extended toward our parents because of an echo that would be heard in the Garden of Gethsemane. You might remember when they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus said, if it's me that you seek, let these go. If it's me that you seek, let these go. He's speaking about his disciples. And in that same sense, in the garden of paradise, when Adam and Eve sinned, he stood in the gap. He stood in the breach and he said, he said, it's me that, that, that will be the sin bearer. It's me that will pay the, the punishment. It's me that will bear their sin at the cross. Therefore, let these go free. The patience of God. On no other ground, on no other ground could God be patient with a sinful race of people or his patience be extended. That's the grounds upon which God could be patient and be just and the justifier of those that believe. And see, and, and, and let me just get to the, this ought not to just draw our hearts out to God and just, just cause there to be a greater expression of love and appreciation in him. But, but this is practical because the word says to us that in patience we possess our souls. That patience is one of those graces that we need to make it across the finish line. That with patience, the Bible says, and faith, we possess the promises of God. That we should not be slothful or lazy, but like those who inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. Patience is such an important aspect of the, the, the life of, of a Christian, of developing the ability to, to wait on God. Kelly spoke about waiting on the Lord last night to the ladies. And I just think that, that it, it's timing of this. Was, we didn't co- co- collaborate or anything, but, but, but waiting on God is, so, is such an important discipline. God will try and test our hearts and develop patience in us. Yes, one of the ways, I want to tell you about another way, but one of the ways that, that patience develops in us is that tribulation works patience. But, but just think about the negatives for, for a moment. Uh, the consequences of being impatient with God or, or the inability to wait on God. Th- think, about Adam, uh, think about Sarah and Abraham. And because the promise of their becoming uh, the, the, or having an heir, or having a son, waited, and, and Sarah's getting older, and Abraham's getting older, and so Sarah comes up with the idea, why don't you go in and, and have a relationship with, with Hagar, the, this Egyptian slave, and maybe by her you'll bring forth a child. And, and, and they did, and that was Ishmael. And 3,500 years later, the world is still bearing the consequences of that inability to patiently wait upon God for God's promise to come to pass. Think about King Saul. King Saul was tested. The prophet Samuel said to him, you wait here for me seven days and in seven days I will come and I will sacrifice to the Lord and I will inquire of the Lord as to what you should do. But the Bible says, because Samuel delayed. He wasn't early, but he wasn't late. He was right on time. And that's the way God is. 
He's always right on time. But because it seemed, and he grew impatient, the king offered up sacrifices, which is unlawful for anyone but the priest to do. And as a result of that, the kingdom was taken away from him. The consequences of being impatient. But God calls us to learn the grace of patience. And I want to tell you another way that patience can come to us. In a message like this, when our eyes are open and we see the beauty of God, when we behold God. You know, I love that verse of scripture. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, folks, if you think that's a BMW, wrong, (laughs) you know, uh, Janis Joplin sang a song some years ago before she died of a heroin overdose. She sang a song, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. So Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? She sang that song. And you know what? I think that could be the theme song for some camps out there who, who listen, who think that serving God is a means to an end. But the reality of that verse is this, that when we delight ourselves in God, when we behold God, when we see God for the beauty and the majesty of of who he is in, in these intrinsic qualities of virtue, of love and patience, listen, in beholding God, we will never become God. But, but what we desire, what we admire, and what we value. You know, you've ever heard the statement, you are what you eat? I want to say this from Scripture, and I'll show you that this morning, that you become what you behold. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You become what you behold. And if you will, if you will, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, We all with unveiled faces beholding the reflection of the Lord as in a mirror are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Paul, uh, excuse me, David said, this one thing have I desired and that I will seek after, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord. To behold the beauty of God. Something takes place. There's a transformation that takes place. Remember what I said about Moses earlier? That when, that when God caused all of his goodness to pass before him, didn't it have a profound effect upon him physically? What happened to him? His face began to glow, radiate the, the, the glory of God. There was a, a shining that came out from his face. What we set our heart upon, what, what we behold of God, of his beauty, of his, of his majesty, of his greatness, th- there becomes a desire in our heart. And then God begins to fashion those desires. Because listen, the ultimate purpose The ultimate destiny for the children of God is that we would be conformed to the image of God's Son. And and, and Paul is not the only one who said this. Even John, in 1 John chapter 3, John says, this is the process that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. That is, I know that's talking about the ultimate finalization of the process 
of, of becoming conformed to the image of Jesus, becoming just like him. It's in seeing him. There's something miraculous indeed that's going to happen to all of us. You know, because listen, there's going to be a time we don't have to worry about temptation anymore. We're not going to be in the presence of sin because we will be so completely changed. You know, years ago, uh, I was able to use this illustration. Some of you don't even know what a Polaroid camera is. You know, you just know what digital pictures are. What's a Polaroid, you know? But years ago, they used to have this big thing called a camera, you know? And it took, it took pictures instantly, or so it said instantly. And you pulled out the film after you, after you snapped the picture, and, and you looked at this, this, this piece of paper, and slowly, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, the image began to appear. It, it, was, it, was, it was faint, and it became stronger and stronger until, until, until the process finally finished. Well, well, that is what is happening to us in Christ. There's a process that's taking place. We're being daily conformed to the image of God's Son. It's almost imperceptible for some of us, right? But you're not the same as what you used to be. I don't care. Listen, you're being changed. And it's as we behold Him, one of the, one of the effects is taking place. Is that we're becoming like Him. A long time ago, back in the 1800s, listen, if you were a missionary back in the 1800s, you, you, you said goodbye to, to, to family, to friends, to, to comfort, to safety. Uh, my son Will just got back on Saturday from Burundi, Africa, thousands of miles away, right? We're texting each other, right? Sending email, you know? I mean... He talked to his wife on the phone. I mean, you're still connected, even though you're thousands of miles away. But in the 1850s, being a missionary was a whole lot. It's another world, right? In 1851, an English missionary by the name of Alan Gardner set sail from England to South America. That was his destination. He had been a missionary about 20 years in different places in, in Africa, teaching the Zulu people and, and a whole bunch of other things. Having a burden now for the people in South America, he is en route, said goodbye to family, goodbye to comfort and, and safety. And then on the mission field, his ship did not make it. His ship sunk with only... A handful of, of, of provisions. They survived the shipwreck only to listen, to die of thirst and starvation. Sometime afterwards, their, 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 their bodies or what was left of their bodies were found and he left a journal. And in his journal, he, he, he wrote this, Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they, listen, but they that seek the Lord shall lack for no good thing. Now, I don't know, I don't know what it's like to, to be that hungry, to be that thirsty, that you, you, your body, body literally shuts down. I can imagine it's a painful way of dying. But in the midst of that, he writes, but they that seek the Lord, 
shall lack for no good thing. And you know the last thing, the last thing that he wrote in his journal was this. I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed with the sense of God's goodness. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God, didn't I read somewhere where you sent ravens to feed a prophet so that he, he wouldn't perish? What, what about this man? Lord, didn't I read somewhere in the word? Didn't you, didn't you cause water to come out of a flinty rock to satisfy the thirst of, of millions of people? And here's a man who could write in the midst of the suffering of thirst and, and hunger. And he could say this, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. What, why is that? As I tell you, some people serve God for what they can get out of God. And some people, like Alan Gardner, serve God to get God. That God is the gospel. That God is our exceeding great reward. That in Him, in Him, not just at His side are pleasures forevermore, but He is our pleasure. He is our joy. And when we come to discover this about God and behold this, to see how patient he was with us, that none of us have received what we deserve. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not, you're not following Christ, I want you to know that, that you've come to this service today and God has been patient with you as he's been patient with all of us. And the reason why he's been patient with you is because he doesn't want you to perish, but wants you to come to the knowledge of repentance. Repentance means turning away from the course in which you are going so that you turn to God and have faith toward God. When we gaze upon his beauty, we have confidence that the one, listen, he's, he's not going, if, listen, if, if, if he didn't give up the children of Israel in the wilderness and if he didn't abandon them, if he didn't forsake them, he will not forsake you and I as well. He will bring this work to completion because he is rich in love and slow to anger. And his name is great. His heart is kind for he is goodness. I will keep on singing. 10,000 reasons for our heart to find. Here's, 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 here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. To intimately and to personally to know him. The intimate personal knowing of the God of patience leads to infinite pleasures. That's what's in store. So listen, you may be going through difficulty right now. We all have at different seasons in our life. But the light afflictions of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits us. On this Thanksgiving, let me just say this as I close in prayer. On this Thanksgiving, when you're going to carve up the turkey and you're going to eat the mashed potatoes and the sweet potatoes. My wife makes the best sweet potatoes in the world. Before I give thanks for the sweet potatoes... Before you give thanks for all your blessings, I want you to stop and I want you to remember 
God of patience and bless his holy name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the revelation of scripture, for without it, we could have never known just how infinitely patient and kind and gracious and merciful and loving. But we especially thank you for Jesus and for the cross of Christ by which you have demonstrated your infinite holiness and your infinite love and where justice and mercy kissed at the cross when the sin bearer, when the substitute took in himself our wrongs and nailed them to the cross. We thank you today, Father, for the blessings that you've lavished upon us as your children, that we should be called the children of God. We thank you, Father, for for this great love wherewith you love us. And we said together, amen.